All right, we are in Luke chapter 8 and verse 9. So let's have a look at that verse. We read this passage of Scripture. We're going to look at it again and just read this one particular verse, which is the verse of our text this morning. And you'll notice the disciples asked him, saying, what might this parable be? So here's a question concerning the parable that Jesus told. And that's a great question, so we're going to be looking at that in just a few moments. Meanwhile, let's uh, keep our Bibles open at this place. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll look into God's Word today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your kindness, for your great love. Thank you for giving us another week. Thank you for giving us another season, really, as we think about Uh, the weather changing once again, moving into the fall weather. And thank you for the infinite variety that you display. And thank you that you have given that to us as uh, something really to look forward to. And even though we may have our favorite seasons, we see uh, what you do in each particular season and marvel at it. Look forward to soon the leaves changing color and how you work all of that out that we might enjoy that fall beauty. And I just pray that uh, the days of our lives through this fall will be blessed, that we'll stay close to you, that we'll honor you in all that we do, and uh, that we'll keep the Bible always uh, steadfast and prominent in our lives, and to be looking to you each day for the strength that you can give us through our daily walk with you. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this uh, Labor Day weekend. Thank you that there's a day tomorrow for extra time for families, friends, and other things like this. And uh, just uh, thank you, Father, for uh, a heritage of a lot of work that's been done in America, and it seems like there's a lot of work yet to do, but it seems like some people also have moved away from those values. We just pray, Father, that we'll continue to understand the importance of labor and work that you've given us to do in this in this world in which we live, and as Christians in particular, that we might redeem the time, knowing that the days are evil. And so I pray now, Lord, that as we have these moments to be together in your word, thank you for everything that came before. Thank you for the young people and the preparation of our hearts there. Thank you for the privilege to give. Thank you for the Bible and the scripture reading that we can have. Thank you for the music that we can enjoy and all of these things we realize, Lord, are ordained by God as part of our worship. So it is true now that as we wait upon you for the blessing to open our hearts, to look for those things that you may have for us and then to yield ourselves to them. I pray, Father, you just be with every listener. I also pray that you'd be with me, Lord, as I preach your word today. Please give me the strength that is necessary. Please guide my words, my thoughts. Help me to be a blessing to the people. Lord, you know what each one needs today, so you're able to take the things that you've given me, and even now you're able to cause them to come out in such a way that they will reflect exactly the need of the hour. Lord, if anybody here today not know Jesus as personal Savior, not be assured of a home in heaven, And we pray, Father, that uh, that message will always be there and that the Holy Spirit always be drawing men and women and boys and girls to the Savior. And that's a prayer we, we always have on our hearts. And bless your people now today, I pray also in Jesus' wonderful and holy name. Amen. Well, this Sunday morning series that we've been working on, if you haven't heard one of these messages before, we have called it, they asked him this, because what we've been doing is considering these questions that different people asked Jesus. There's so much to learn in the questions that people asked. And uh, so we have discovered that people from all walks of life, that's a category, ask Jesus questions. And we've also discovered that you have a whole grouping, probably the largest of them is from the disciples. And then probably second to that, you have another grouping where people who were adversarial, people who were critics of Jesus, asked him questions. This morning we have another one that has a lot in common with the last several that we've looked at because 
The last several we've looked at, the story has been contained in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of what we often refer to as the synoptic gospels. The same is true here. This particular parable has kind of a, an importance beyond some of the others. Um, in the Mark account of this, I'll just maybe say that at this point, uh, Mark's gospel doesn't contain the question that we have as Luke records it. It records it indirectly. In other words, it records the fact that they asked Jesus about the parable. And then when Jesus went on to explain, Jesus asked them a counter question. And we didn't read that, so I want to give you that now. Mark chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus said to them, when they inquired about the parable, Jesus said to them, know ye not this parable, and how then will ye know all parables? Then when you look at Matthew's account of this parable, you find it in chapter 13, and that is the fullest account of all of these so-called parables of the kingdom. In fact, um, if you were to look there, you find seven or eight, depending on how you count the material that's there of these parables. And But there's something that Jesus is saying about this particular parable. It, it is first among them all. It's foundational. It's seminal. Not only because a lot of the imagery that it uses is used in some of the others. And so this understanding is significant and necessary as he tells the others. But beyond that, uh, this... This particular parable has a message that gives insight into the gospel age, the time in which we live right now, and gives insight really into what the disciples could expect uh, going forward in particular after Jesus Christ went back to heaven and they became the apostles and those who were charged along with the other, uh, all people who are saved, the church in general, with taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. See, this is the parable of the sower. And uh, we can't really blame the disciples for asking this question. In fact, I would say right at the outset, we should congratulate them for asking this question. For the simple reason that, you know what, it showed that they were interested. And this is something that we're going to get into as we look at this. Because not everyone is interested in spiritual truth. Not only out in the world in general, which everyone here this morning would say, well, yeah, I, I, I've got that, I figured that out. But, you know, sometimes people even gather in church and they have moderate to little interest in spiritual truth. And that's a sad thing. So it's a great thing to congratulate the disciples that they were interested in spiritual truth. They inquired. They wanted to know what is, it, what is the message of this? What is it that Jesus is talking about here that he's told them, listen, you need to know this parable because this is seminal. This is really important to know. Well, they want to know it. And this parable has to do with people's responses to the Word of God. And so this is really critical if you think about it, because as I said a moment ago, the disciples, after Jesus returned to heaven, they were going to be the ones who were charged with that, not exclusively. But they certainly were in the driver's seat as the, as the church began. And Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached, and 3,000 people were saved, and and we have the record of how uh, the Apostle Paul preached and others. And it was so important for the church to understand that our mission is about taking the Word of God, and in particular, the gospel message to the ends of the earth. But you know, once you get involved in that gospel work, you start to notice that, especially if you do a lot of it, you start to notice that 
you get various responses as you preach, teach, or share God's Word. So don't tune out this morning. Don't think, well, I'm not a preacher because we're all hopefully in the habit of sharing God's Word with people. And even if you're just doing this, and and this is really praiseworthy also, if you're doing this, let's say, in, in the context of a personal witness, something of that nature, especially if you do a lot of this, even just handing out gospel tracts, you will begin to kind of notice over time that you get different reactions and different responses from people. Jesus knew that it would be important for the disciples to kind of have a preview, to sort of know what to expect as people hear the Word of God. So we're going to look at this this morning in three stages, as we often have, and we're going to play off of the whole idea of hearers, okay? Hearers, because that's what this is really all about. We're going to talk about lots of hearers, first of all, and then we're going to talk about kinds of hearers. And then at the very end, we're going to talk about warnings to hearers. So let's start off in Luke chapter 8 and verse number 4, and notice something about lots of hearers. So first of all, let me say this. We'll look at that verse in just a moment. But first of all, let me say this. You know, I guess if you were to have a Bible that sort of uh, describes paragraphs as, as the text unfolds, In other words, if you don't just have a straight text Bible, um, I have a straight text Bible that I use for preaching, but almost every other Bible I have is more more geared towards giving information. So most of you probably have Bibles like that. Certainly if you have a Schofield Reference Bible or one of the Reference Bibles or any of those, you're going to have that kind of thing. And when you have this, you're going to typically have a phrase that the church has used over time to describe this parable, and it's typically called the parable of the sower, right? So you're probably looking down and seeing something like that in your Bible, the parable of the sower. Uh, Nothing wrong with that because uh, it's sort of like hymns. You know, we often tend to name hymns by the first line. That's usually the case. What we start off singing is kind of how they are known to us, and that's how this parable starts. You'll notice Jesus starts to talk about, in verse number 5, a sower went out to sow his seed. So this is often called the parable of the sower. But in many respects, you could also, just as, just as correctly, and maybe even to be a little bit more on spot, because the emphasis is not so much on the sower anyway. In this parable, really, the sower is incidental. The emphasis is really on the types of soil that the seed, which he identifies as the Word of God, encounters, right? So you could, this doesn't gain too much traction because it sounds a little bit foreign and a little bit bulky, but you could talk about the parable of the soils, or maybe better yet, and more on point, probably the most on point would be if you were to characterize this as the parable of the hearers, the listeners, the hearers. And do you know when Jesus does begin to unfold this, when Jesus does begin to answer their question about what does this parable mean? That's the question that's before us this morning. They ask, what does this parable mean? In each case, in each of the four types of soil, it's representative of a different kind of listener or hearer. So look with me at verse 12. And you'll want to watch for the word here or some form of the word here. So he says this, those by the wayside are they that, what's that word? Here. Look at verse 13. They on the rock are they which when they hear. Look at verse uh, 14. 
and that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard. Verse 15. But that on good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard. So this is about the the listeners. This is the parable of the hearers or the parable of the listeners if we really want to be spot on in our focus. All right, now back to verse 4. Lots of hearers. So Jesus gathers that day, and verse number 4 says, When much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spoke by a parable. Well, again, if we were to look at the accounts and the other stories, this is something else that this story has in common with what we've seen, those couple of messages we picked up in Mark. Uh, All of them were scenes in which there were multitudes of people who were listening to the ministry of Jesus, this this great Galilean ministry, and multitudes, many, many people in the audience. In fact, it's that sort of idyllic scene, I, I think I could call it that, It's so peaceful, so picturesque in my mind, and I I will admit I have the benefit of having been able to kind of see it. So, I mean, 2,000 years later, roughly, yes. But uh, you'd be surprised when you look at the Sea of Galilee, especially if you're around the shore of the Sea of Galilee and not up. As I've I've told you, it's very steep as it goes up. Well, you get up into some of those places, hotels are built and other things like that. But you, you get down there around the shore of the Sea of Galilee and you think to yourself, you know, this doesn't look to me like it would have been that much different in the day in which Jesus. And Jesus found a place along the shore where these people gathered. And once again, he got into a, this is from the other accounts. Once again, he got into a small boat and the boat moves just a bit offshore uh, so that Jesus can speak to the people. And I don't know if you've ever wondered, how, how, how were people in in ancient times, uh, I don't know what we would do today, you know, if we didn't have uh, things to help people hear, um, if we didn't have uh, sound reinforcement was what we always called it because, um, you know, we're not so much public address in church as much as we're really just interested in you being able to hear. That's the whole, that's the whole sound ministry is being sure that people can hear. So, whether we furnish devices that help people who are a little hard of hearing so that they can hear, or uh, whether we just have some speakers or something so that it's loud enough for the people in the back and loud enough over the any ambient noise we have in the room to hear. If people don't hear, we've wasted our time, right? I and mean, people have to be able to hear the message. And so that's the whole reason we do this. And you ever wonder, how did George Whitfield, for instance, these... Uh, in the 18th century, these great open-air preachers, how did they do that? How did they do that even in the, in the 19th century? Moody and all these others that had these vast tabernacles, and even into the early 20th century, we had Bob Jones and Billy Sunday and all these people. But people did. And Jesus certainly knew what he was doing here because it was going to make it that much easier by separating himself and getting back from those people somewhat and not only that but also having a little bit of water in between and have you ever noticed now we have some lakes around here but i grew up along the coast uh, the sea that is and i can tell you something about how sound carries over water you ever notice that so jesus knows exactly what he's doing and he's positioning himself in more ways than one so that everybody there that day that wants to hear his message can hear it So we start off with lots of hearers, and he's teaching the multitude from the boat. 
And Mark tells us something very interesting. Again, we need this verse from Mark, and I'm going to read it for you in just a moment, or you can keep fingers here and turn with me to it. Mark tells us that before he ever began to tell this parable, before he ever began his message, the first thing that he uttered was an invitation. Mark 4 and verse 3. That's interesting because today, you know, we kind of think, well, the invitation, the preacher always gives the invitation in the message. Well, we're going to find out today that Jesus gave one at the beginning, one in the middle, and one at the end. <laughs> Look at Mark 4, 3 if you turned, but it says this, hearken, hearken. Then he says, behold, there went out a sower to sow. So right at the very beginning, Jesus has lots of hearers, and the first thing he says to them is, I want you to hear what I have to say. Listen to my message. Do you know, folks, not much has changed. That's still what we're in the business of doing. We, we gather people, and whether we say it or not, we desire that people will listen to the message of God's Word. And I don't know if you realize just how critical some of these words that we're spending some time with are because the Bible has a whole lot to say about hearing. For instance, if we were going over to the book of Romans for a moment in chapter number 10, I'm not going to do a lot with this, but I, I want to show you some verses that you're familiar with, tie it into this concept that we're talking about for us to realize just how important this really is. How important is it that people hear the word of God? Well, Romans 10 and verse 14 says this, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And of course, unfortunately, we've sort of layered more of a technical meaning on that word preacher today. And so sometimes people read that and they say, well, that lets me out. I'm not a preacher. But, you know, you can't get off the hook quite like that because the word in the original, kerux, is just a herald, and it's used not just for people who, who, who are what we think of as preachers. It's used for everyone. Everyone is called to be a herald. Everyone is called to be a proclaimer of the Word of God. Everything hinges on this because if people don't hear the Word of God... How are they supposed to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they supposed to believe if they've never heard? And how will they hear if someone doesn't take them the word of God? Everything depends on this. In this gospel age in which we live, people need to hear the word of God. And in particular, unsaved people need to hear the gospel message about Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. This is so important to Paul that in that same chapter, down in verse 17, he says this, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And faith is all critical, right? Because we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Well, we have to have something to place faith in other than the piddly things of this world. We have to have something to put faith in besides human effort and works to get ourselves to heaven. We need to put our faith in the finished work and the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and know him as our personal savior. And that's the only way to be assured of heaven. And people need to hear that message. So Jesus gets himself in a position that people can hear 
and gives an invitation right at the very outset. Listen, please, incline your hearts to what I have to say. That's important because the next thing we're going to look at is kinds of hearers because right away then, he gets into telling a story about what he already knows he can expect and what he wants the disciples to learn that as they start doing this more and more, this is what they can expect. And as you and I start doing this more and more, this is what we can expect. It's not meant to be discouraging. In fact, it's really meant to be encouraging because if you didn't have this parable, if he didn't tell us this is the way it's going to be, I think we really would get discouraged. I think we wouldn't be able to explain why more people don't listen. But listen, if Jesus had multitudes of people who, as we're going to see in a moment, didn't listen to him, don't just be so shocked when they don't listen to you. People say, oh, if Jesus would just come back today. I'm not sure it would really be any different. People say, oh, well, you know, we have special meetings. If we could just get this big-name speaker in, well, that may help a little bit, but I'm not sure it's going to help all that much, really. I used to tell people all the time, I used to say it all the time in Huntington, if we had the Apostle Paul here, I'm not sure it would make a whole lot of difference. Now, you bring a band in or you bring in something like that, yeah, that gets them in. But it really doesn't matter anymore because we've so changed in this culture. We've become so entertainment-saturated. People have become become to the place where that's what they want when they go to a worship service is to be entertained that it's so de-emphasized the preaching of God's word which was at really in any Protestant church the preaching of God's word has always been the paramount thing why that's why when you go into older churches in particular you're going to find the most obvious piece of furniture placed in such a way when you go into that church is always the pulpit Because without the proclamation of God's word, we don't really have a reason to be here. I mean, we're here, yes, there are definitely secondary spin-off blessings that God has for us. There's fellowship, there's all, all these things that, that we gain by being together as believers, but it's the word that we share that's paramount. And that's why I said, as I said earlier, if people can't hear, we've wasted all our time. So now that we get into the Jesus telling the story about kinds of hearers, and he tells about a man who goes out to sow. Now, you have to understand that in the nation of Israel, this is, I mean, everybody is right with him. There's nobody even having to use his imagination. This is not hard work because you're, you're living in a land where everything depends on farming, and so that's agrarian, and pastoral work, farming and livestock. Even today, Israel is not necessarily known for a lot of heavy industry, right? Well, who knows what they, they have tucked away in different places here and there. They have some neat things tucked away. <laughs> but for the most part, Israel, even today, is not known for heavy industry. Uh, it's, a, it's a pastoral type of an agrarian land and always has been. So everybody knows exactly what he's talking about. A fellow goes out to sow. Now, here, got to realize this. You ever had one of those contraptions that you... Uh, you put it over your shoulder. I don't know if, if people still do this much anymore, but it's got a strap, goes over a shoulder. you got a bag on it. You put the seed in the bag, and then you go along with this thing like this. You ever done that? I've got one that's not for seed. It's, well, they, I think maybe it was originally designed for fertilizer, but you carry it by hand. I, I still call it a bird feeder, and that's not even right. 
but it's this little green thing, and of course Scott makes it, you know, Scott fertilizers and all that. And I use it in the wintertime when I've got to put salt on the driveway. I'm there. And then I noticed the fellow that, that uh, we uh, had over the years so, so many times come do the work, you know, a couple times a year for the lawns there. And he had motorized. I mean, you know, we're really getting sophisticated now. This guy ride around on this thing. And, you know, we had a hopper on it and fill that stuff up. And so we're going to fertilize now. Well, when that thing gets going, I always think to myself, look at all that he's wasting. Because, I mean, it goes everywhere. I mean, it'll be all over the sidewalks. It'll be all over everywhere. But that's just how it's done nowadays. But that sort of figures into the story that we're going to have here in a few moments. So this is, this is very... And then four types of soil come up. He describes them all in the first part, verses 5 through 8. And when he's done with describing the four types of conditions that the soil it rep, is... The four different types of soil... That's when the disciples, when they've heard that and they realize he's done telling the story, he's done giving the parable, then that's when they say, in verse number 9, what might this parable be? And so Jesus then proceeds in the, in the concluding verses here to give them an explanation of what this is. Now, may I say, and I'm, I'm going to have to just work hard, I can't spend a lot of time on the first part, but Jesus actually gives two answers. He gives an answer before the one you're thinking which the one you're thinking is the specific one where he explains exactly what these four types of soils are and how they represent four specific kinds of hearers. He gives a general answer because remember, where did we start? We started with a multitude and lots of hearers. And we don't have it recorded in Luke's account, but in Matthew's account, it's certainly there. They ask, why do you speak to them in parables? That, we, that just sort of goes along with this. I'm not treating that as a separate message, but they did ask him that. Why? why? Why do you choose to speak to people in parables? And Luke's account is the briefest of them, but we do have one verse that treats that. And at verse, in verse number 10, he said, unto, he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Okay, I think we really have to do this, but i got to be careful how much time we spend with it. Let's go over to Matthew 13, because Matthew is the place that really gives the uh, fuller treatment of this. So when we read these verses, um, and let's read here just a little bit of this so you get a feel for it. All these things, verse 34, spoke Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spoke he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret since the foundation of the world. And further back, earlier in the, the account of this, let's go back just a little bit sooner and pick up some of this. That was kind of the ending of it. Um, Verse 10, the disciples said, Why speakest unto them in parables? He answered and said, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. 
All right, so we're going to stop for a moment because we read that and it causes us pause. I'd spent all this time telling us that Jesus had lots of hearers, positioned himself in a boat so that everybody could hear. Then he speaks in parables, and they say, why do you speak in parables? And he says, well, because it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. And it's very easy if we don't take all the statements that are here and balance this, it's easy to come away from this with only one side of this. And there are two sides that have to go together or you get the thing fouled up. On the one hand, if you just read that verse and you don't realize what else Jesus is saying, you think to yourself, well, I don't understand this. It sounds like he's deliberately trying to withhold this message from people so that they won't be saved. And that's not altogether true. So we look down a little bit further in this and see some of the other things that are here. That's a misunderstanding to take it to that extent. First of all, if Jesus did not think that there was capability, if Jesus did not want them to be able to hear, why start, as I said in Mark chapter 4, verse 3, by reaching out to them saying, please listen to my message? Is this a sham? Is Jesus mocking these people? No, he's not. It's just that what you've got is a delicate interplay between what we would call judicial blindness or judgment and human responsibility. And I think this is a concept, really, that we won't have that much trouble understanding if we think about it for a moment. So when I come to church or whenever I have the opportunity to hear the Word of God, what is my responsibility? To listen and heed, right? Right? That's why when it got into the middle of the story, and again, I'm going to take us back over to chapter... You stay where you are, okay, for a moment, but let me read. He gets to the middle, and before he gives the interpretation, he says this. So I told you, he gives an invitation at the beginning, he gives an invitation in the middle. Here's the one in the middle, Luke chapter 8 and verse 8. And when he had said these things, so before he gives the interpretation, but he's told about the four types of soils, it says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Well, there's another invitation and then when you get to the end and this is why I had us read down to verse number 18 he says take heed therefore how ye hear three times at the beginning in the middle at the end he says please listen well, let me ask you a question a preacher can say that till the cows come home but do people always listen no they don't always listen and so Jesus knew what the prevailing sentiment of that audience was Jesus has a little better insight into people than we do, and he knew what that was. So we go down a little bit further here in what he unfolds in, uh, in uh, Matthew's gospel, and he talks about this. Verse 13, Matthew 13, 13, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not. So what was their response? Weren't listening didn't care. Well, if you do that enough, so let me give you an illustration that you'll pick up on right away. We talk about sometimes people becoming gospel hard. Ever heard that expression before? Sure you have. Because what's that really talking about? That's talking about the person who sits in a service, feels the Holy Spirit convicting him of sin, knows he needs to be saved, or sometimes it's a Christian 
who sits in the service, knows that God is speaking to his heart. Sometimes I've seen people this. Invitation time, they're just like gripping onto the back of the pew because they're so afraid. And they resist and they resist. Well, guess what? The more you resist, the easier it becomes to resist and the harder you get. And it becomes a judgment on itself that the more that we refuse to listen to God's word, the harder we get. Do you see what I'm talking about? This is this judicial blindness or judgment, this hardening that comes on people. Well, all you have to do is think about Pharaoh. He got hard, right? He had repeated opportunities, but he got hard, harder and harder. Let's look at a couple of other verses here real quick and be done with this. Jesus sensed that the crowd was indifferent, and he sensed that what he was seeing in that crowd was, in a, was a fulfillment of exactly what Isaiah's generation was like. Look at verse 14. And in them, he said, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand. By seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. But he says to the disciples, But blessed are your eyes. That's what I said. They were interested. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Well, this is it. See, if you don't get that balance between these two thoughts, then you get kind of off on one extreme that's not really the right way to view this. So he does give an explanation as to why he spoke in parables, because guess what? In that he spoke in parables, let's finish it out by t saying it this way. In that he spoke by parables, it was almost a test. How interested are you? If you sit in church and there's something that you don't understand, how interested are you? You, know, you just figure out, well, probably half the others didn't understand that either. That's the end of it. How interested were they? The disciples were interested enough to say, what's that mean? No indication that others in the audience. So then Jesus goes on. We've got to stop with that. Jesus goes on then and gives the second answer, which is to, to explain the various types. So let's look at the first one. First type of soil that we have, look at verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear the word. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So what's going on? We're back to the broadcast again, right? So let's say, let's just, for a moment, let's just say the parking lot is the field. Out there, the parking lot's the field. That's good, that's the ground where I want the soil to go. And I'm going along with this thing. When I get up here next to the building, I'm doing this. What's going to happen? Something's going up on the sidewalk, isn't it? Just like the guy told you about going along on the thing and broadcasting the fertilizer. Some's going on the sidewalk. Same thing then. The, the sower would sow. Some would go. You ever notice how the carpet in the church, it wears out in a couple, two or three places and makes you replace the whole thing? I used to get so fed up with that. We, you'd look in various places in the church and it was pristine. It was like no one ever walked on it. But the aisles, places where the foot traffic always went, even in offices, we had that. It was where the foot traffic always went. You look around the office, and some places the carpet was just fluffy and nice. But where the foot traffic always went. Crown becomes hard. Soil hard, impenetrable. The seed can't penetrate that to get any kind of germination. 
But he says here in verse uh, 12, uh, and actually we want to notice a little detail that he gives in one of the other places because, and don't turn in the interest of time, let me read this for you. He throws out this little detail. So here are these people and it, it, it kind of hits on hard ground. And so Matthew 13, 19, he says this about that when he's giving the interpretation there. He says, when one heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not. All right, so what do they do when they don't understand it? They don't do anything. And so since they don't do anything, immediately it provides the opportunity for what to happen. The birds swoop down. Did you ever notice they have radar? You plant that seed, and I'm telling you, you'll have them, and they hadn't been within 10 miles. They come down on it. And that's the way it is here. Because they didn't understand but left it there, showed no further interest in the Word of God, the devil comes right along. They don't realize how serious this is. The devil does realize how serious it is. He realizes that if people hear the gospel and open their hearts to the gospel, they could be saved. And so in this type of hearer, when he hears the gospel but doesn't really understand it and doesn't have sufficient interest to drive him to go to someone after the service and say, could you explain that to me a little further? I'm not sure I understand it. You ever notice how this happens? They get out of the service, an hour later they've forgotten about it. Hardly ever think about it again. That's what he's talking about here. I call this the disinterested hearer. Secondly, we have the superficial hearer. The ground is shallow. And again, I don't know how much of this, I guess really we probably do have some of this around here, especially because of shale. But you think about Palestine. Here's what's going on. You've got three inches or so of decent soil and then under that a rocky ledge. So this seed, when it hits in that type of ground, it springs up right away. But the moment the sun comes out and there's heat, because it doesn't have any place to get a root down, and because that ground is only, that soil is only two or three inches, there's no moisture that it can retain. Then what happens is it tells us in Jesus' interpretation, verse 13, they on the rock are they which hear, receive the word with joy. It, it springs up right away. It's like, and, and, you've seen this? Sometimes later we come back and we say, I think we maybe were picking green fruit. But you have, you'll have people who hear a message, oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Oh, or sometimes, you know, and once in a while it really is that way. Once in a while somebody's just, God has been working in that heart, they're ready. And all you had to do was just to say a few words, I mean, because they were so prepared and so ready. But you also get a category of people who hear the message and right away they respond and you think to yourself, ah, oh, it's great. How many? We had all these people. Two Sundays from now, you can't find them. You had that experience? And we've all had that experience. In fact, I'm sure we've probably all, if we've been involved in doing this, probably all led someone to Christ that way. And he says, I want you to understand, here's what it is. Sometimes it seems real because of that initial rush of enthusiasm and joy, receive the word of God with joy. They seem happy about the thing, but the moment that heat hits, 
They fall away. They can't stand the test of persecution or tribulation arising because of the word. I think the first, I think the first person that I was ever burdened for and thought I saw him trust the Lord as his personal Savior, I, I look back on it now. Of course, I can't see his heart, but I sort of think that's exactly what happened to him. And I started telling him what happened in my life. It wasn't too long before he got interested and he said he trusted the Lord and he started coming to church with me. And then his family found out that he came in one day and said, hey, I want to go with my buddy here to church tonight. And they said, it's, it's Wednesday night. We don't go to church on Wednesday night. Because they were in some staid old apostate church in downtown Charleston that you went in once on Sunday morning and you got out as soon as you could and you'd done your duty. Who were these weird people that went to church Sunday night and Wednesday night? And they didn't want anything to do with that. And his family reacted adversely. One day I went to that same, he said, why don't you come over for dinner? This was the old South where these folks still observed the custom of dinner at midday. And so it was one, two o'clock. He said, he went back to the back to ask his mother if I could stay for dinner. And he was back there for a long time. I couldn't quite understand why is he back there for so long. And he didn't know that I could hear, but there was a discussion going on back there. His brother was back there. And I heard with my own ears his brother say these words, I'm not eating lunch with any D-A-M-N religious fanatic. And you know, after that, my buddy kind of got cold to that. I mean, we were still friends, but wouldn't come to any services, didn't want to hear anything more about it. I sort of think that's what happened there. And it helps me that Jesus prepared me in advance to know there are going to be some people like that. The third one, I call him the, un, the conflicted hearer because here's the problem. Look at verse 14, and that which fell among thorns. There's competition. The seed falls, but there's already some thorn seeds or some thorns that have already put a claim on the ground. This guy's conflicted. He wants to do right, but then come the cares of this life and the pleasures and the riches and all those different things, and they have a greater pull. And I wonder if you've ever noticed that. It really helps to, to see this in the Bible that God explains this, that you know something, anytime you get competition between the things of this world, the riches, the cares of this life, all those things, did you ever notice how they almost always seem to win? unless the power of the Holy Spirit is there and working in a mighty way and keeps on working in our lives. These are the types of hearers that they, they're conflicted. They say, well, it sounds good and I know I ought to, but, but I still want to have some fun, but I still want to earn some money, but I still want to, and on and on it goes. And they don't have time for the word of God and the thorns choke it and it becomes unfruitful. Something you got to notice before we look at the last thing and we finish up. Guess what? There's no fruit so far. You don't have fruit, you don't have genuineness. We've been looking at that on Sunday night. There's no fruit. 
You can read this and read all the parallel accounts and you'll find that this is the thing that really makes the difference. We get to the last one and this is the one that's the good grounder. I call this the honest hearer. As Jesus says, verse 15, but that on good ground are they which with an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. That is endurance. Now, for those of you that have heard these messages on Sunday night, these three messages, I want to put a little plug in. You know the word endurance? This says patience, but it's the word endurance in the original. And I talked about last Sunday night, or yeah, about meno, to remain. Well, this is hupa meno. It means to remain under. In other words, the pressures come, but we stay right there. We keep right on. We continue despite those pressures. Sometimes we call this perseverance. And that's exactly what Jesus was talking about in John 15 when he talked about fruit that remains. This is real. This is genuine. What does he have to say about this? There's fruit with endurance. These people, I mean, these are genuine people. They never get to the place where they disown Christ or turn away from Christ or lose interest. They may go through dry seasons and difficult seasons in their Christian experience. But this is the real McCoy here. This is the honest. This, 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 this soil produces the fruit with, with endurance. It, this, is, this is the person who genuinely believes and is saved. I don't think any of the other three are. There's no fruit there. There's no indication. Then quickly, there comes a warning to hearers, verse 18, which I already read. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear, for whosoever hath to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. Do you understand this maybe a little bit better now? So like the disciples who were interested, their spiritual discernment and understanding grew. What they had grew. What they got more. People who had the opportunity to hear that day but turned their backs on it and had no interest lost what they had. This is what he's talking about here. And so this is an important message. It's so important that he reached out with three different invitations because, you know what, this matter, this message and how a person responds to it matters for eternity. Might sound like a simple thing, but as heaven watches over this room this morning and hears this message and looks on our hearts, eternal consequences hang in the balance. If you're here today and you've never been saved, what are you going to do with this? Because the truth of the matter is, we all respond, even if we don't think we respond. We all respond. We all make a decision one way or another. It's really important to make the right decision. Years and years ago, way back before I was born, but back just in the earlier part of the 20th century. A young man was born by the name of Ronald Wilson Reagan. We know him as eventually being one of the presidents of the United States. 
He said later on that he learned a very interesting lesson about the importance of making a decision, the right decision. Happened like this. His aunt took him to the cobbler, so you can tell this is dated. The cobbler's not something for dessert. The, the cobbler's the guy making the shoes, right? So his aunt took him to the cobbler and offered to have a pair of shoes made for him. So the shoemaker looked at the young boy and he said, do you want a square toe or a round toe? He hemmed and hawed and said, I'm not sure. The cobbler said, well, why don't you go home and do whatever and come back in a couple days. You think about it and decide what you want. Well, he didn't ever go back. And so a few days later on the street, the shoemaker saw young Reagan walking down the street and he walked up to him and he said, well, did you decide what shoes you want? You want the square toe or the round toe? And he said, I still haven't made up my mind. And the cobbler said, very well. A few more days passed and Reagan got his shoes from the cobbler. He was shocked. He got one square toe and one round toe. Shoe. Whenever Ronald Reagan would tell that story, he said that that taught him early on in life about the importance of making a decision because he said this, if you don't make your own decisions, somebody else will make them for you. Who are you going to let make the decision this morning? You going to make the decision? You could be here today and not be saved. Who's going to make the decision? You or the devil? You or the cares of this world? You are other things that seem more important. Who's going to make the decision? Or you're here today as a Christian and what are you going to do? Maybe God is speaking to your heart and has been for some time. Maybe there's a spiritual step you need to take in your life, a, a, a step of commitment to the Lord. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe there's something else that God has been dealing with you about, a, a matter of spiritual decision in your life. Now, who's going to make that decision? Because if you don't, someone else will. Father, thank you for your great love to us. Father, thank you for giving us a preview, as it were, to help us understand what happens when the Word of God is preached. It's encouraging to know that there are included in this, one out of four at least, to hear the Word of God and it, it's honest and good soil. And it brings forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Oh, Father, whatever it is that you desire to accomplish in this service today, I pray that you will. I pray that we'll let you have your will and way.